Hey Atari Hackers, in case you didn't notice, it's December already and I'm really excited because it means 2020 is almost over. But December for the podcast also means a lot of like these yearly formats that, you know, we do every December as a way to recap the year. And this week is one of the most fun formats we have, which is the yearly prediction. Every year, Mark and I take a shot at guessing what's going to be happening in the industry next year and try to share our best guesses with you. We are very often quite wrong with our predictions, but it's a lot of fun and it allows us to share what we think is going to happen in the industry in the near future. Last year, we started to invite guests to share their predictions, usually your favorite people of online marketing, so they can join in the fun and they can be wrong with us. So this year, we have done the same and we have a lot of interesting guests, some of your favorite people. So we have Matt Diggity, we have Spencer House, we have Matthew Woodward, and we have many others that you will enjoy, like Carruth, etc. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're excited for this format, don't forget to click on the subscribe button for our YouTube channel or subscribe to us on the audio podcast platforms. Give us a thumb up if you're on YouTube and click on the notification bell so you don't miss any of our videos. But let's stop the teasing and let's get started with the podcast. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Atari Hacker Podcast. Today we're going to do kind of like a yearly staple of the podcast, which is us making predictions on what we think is going to happen next year in 2021. Can't be worse than 2020, I'm sure, in terms of SEO and uh, authority sites, etc. which actually wasn't that bad of a year, 2020. But we're actually also going to be inviting people to give their predictions as well. So a lot of people that you guys like, Carl Roof, Matt Diggity, etc., people that you've seen around the podcast, Spencer House is coming and Matthew Woodward is coming, etc. So they'll be giving us one prediction and we'll take much more risks with Mark. We'll take like six or seven and we'll be wrong like most years. And anyway, Mark, welcome back to the podcast. How is it going? It's going great. I've got a new uh, hoodie, an authority yeah, hacker I can see one. That. I have the old one. Yeah. So. so this is some, season. some new swag <laughs> been preparing coming out shortly to select members. Yeah, you said coming out, but people want to buy it. They can't buy it, you know? You can't buy it, no. Sorry. Are we making Scarcity. a shop next year? Like, uh, can no. people buy it? <laughs> I can predict we're not going to do that, no. All right, fine. Okay, so before we get started with the podcast, we are going to first review the predictions we made last year and see what happened this year, whether we got right or wrong. Spoiler alert, mostly wrong, as most years, to be honest. So really take this podcast as like entertainment only because, <laughs> because we're not very good at this. But we kind of have fun with this. So, oh, well, let's just get started right now with the first one. And the first one was actually mine, if I remember, which was I predicted that there would be a, a big slowdown in medic updates and, you know, core updates. You know, at that time last year, there was like an update every two, three months, maybe from Google that was really reshuffling the rankings a lot. And uh, I think my reasoning was like, well, most updates, it's how it happens, right? There's like a lot of updates the first year, year and a half, and we get into a quieter period for like maybe two years. And then Google kind of comes up with something new and it gets reshuffling a lot for a year and then et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, well, you know, timeline wise, according to the previous updates, waiting into the end of this, it's probably going to slow down. And I think I was mostly right here, actually. There's not been massive core updates. This, there may, maybe has been one or something, but nothing on the scale of what we've seen the two years before that, I think. Yeah, it didn't really affect us this year. And I didn't really notice too many people in our communities like complaining, sort of complaining yeah. or saying it, it, they got negatively hit. It almost felt last year was just like random. You know, there were some really good sites getting 
penalized. Fortunately, most of them seem to have recovered from it. But at least I'm hoping we're entering more a phase of uh, of stabilization from that kind of existential risk. But let's see what next year brings. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like we'll talk about this uh, a bit later in the predictions. But um, Carl Roof, I was talking with him in another podcast, and he was telling me that. He thinks this is tied to the crawling issues that Google has and indexing issues, that they can't really roll updates when they struggle to even just index normal URLs because they need to essentially re-index everything when they do an update. So they might be technically limited to actually roll these out right now, which would explain that maybe they had some, in, maybe we were wrong, maybe they had some updates ready, but they couldn't technically couldn't roll them, them out. Yeah, exactly. So who knows? It's his uh, it's his opinion. I, I don't know if it's going to be true or not, but let's see. The next prediction we had was that link outreach will become more difficult. I can't remember. You probably said that. Did you say that last year? Yeah. So it was basically a factor of more and more SEOs doing outreach and more and more sites realizing the value of links and selling them or just getting a bit numb to all the, the outreach requests, even the good ones. And I think this is largely held true. I mean, we didn't really specify how much harder it was yeah. going to be and it's hard to measure so it's hard to say accurately whether this was true or not but my general sense is that link building has gotten slightly more hard slightly more difficult throughout 2020 for the above factors one thing which we also mentioned which we definitely got wrong was that people and sites would start using rel equals sponsored more for paid links and for when they're doing sponsor posts, all this kind of ad ad campaigns and whatnot. That is absolutely not true. I have rarely seen sites use this at all. So got that one wrong. It's kind of weird because, again, I was talking with Cal and essentially he was like, well, yeah, Relicor sponsored, you can pay for it, right? And Relicor sponsors also passes link juice according to him. So it's like you can buy links and rank with Relicor sponsors. So I'm quite surprised. But it makes sense. You would just buy them and then not have that and risk, uh, take the chance that Google doesn't realize it's paid for and you get the full value of the link. Yeah, I guess. I just Google is not, probably it's an effect of Google not hurting people that don't put this on enough to the point or, where they're like, or it's not even, yeah. Or even if they are not telling you that's what they're doing because yeah, it's yeah. very hard to tell which of your links are, are working and which are, are not at the moment. Yeah. So it's probably something like that. It's just like the repression is not very good or not very well, not perceived as very aggressive. And so they don't, people don't care, basically. The next one we had was that site speed will become a bigger deal for rankings, though. so purely for SEO. Not really the case, I don't think. I mean, not more than like one year ago, I would say. The one thing that has changed, though, is the web call vitals. This was introduced and it's, it's kind of part of page speed in the sense that, uh, you know, it's like stuff that loads asynchronously so like after your page has loaded then like another element loads and like the text goes down for example it's like if you have a lot of elements moving after the first paint of your page google is going to actually start applying penalties like we don't know what they're going to do exactly but they're going to start doing something like that and it's going to essentially it is the same process as page speed optimization because what people would do to like get faster load speed is just delay a lot of stuff for after the page has loaded and it's like your page loads and just stuff loads after it's like it just just everything gets pushed down etc you try to click on something and something else has loaded on it etc so they are going to go after that essentially over optimization for speed which is quite an interesting one so if page speed is not that important and core uh, like the um, core signals are important then maybe you won't want to be pushing as hard on 
getting the fastest loading speed, but loading speed, you might want to load some elements at the same time as the rest of the page, so it doesn't move as much after the initial load. I think this is for you know when someone loads a page and then they're going to click on a link, but then yeah, it like it pushes everything down and some loads. dodgy yeah. banner you end up clicking on and all these kinds of things. A yeah. lot of like torrent sites seem to do this quite a lot. But most ads um, are like that. Most ads are like asynchronously load, so it's like they actually load after the page has loaded. You most ads drive ads, for example, work that way. So like you click on the image and boom the the ad loads on it and then you click on it and and that's so it's going to be quite interesting so i think people will actually have to trade off page speed for having like better core vitals i don't think we were right because it's not really it's not these core vital things is not even live yet they just said it's going to be a factor next year so it's not true but they're looking in that direction as a sidestep not exactly as what we were predicting basically so the next one is Probably one that we couldn't have been more wrong about. So at the end of 2019, I made a claim that Amazon were going to, that I thought Amazon were going to increase their commission rates back to where they were pre-2018 drop in 2020. Well, as we all know, in April, the opposite happened and they gutted them a little bit further. And in one case of one or two niches like health, like they absolutely eviscerated them. So, yeah, completely wrong on that. And yeah, uh, I guess I will I'll stop trying to interpret what Amazon are planning. Yeah, Jeff Bezos saw the podcast and it was like challenge accepted, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next one, we said Google will send less traffic to websites. While I think it's maybe true, I think the tendency was much more pronounced in 2019 and 2018, where there was a lot more zero-click search, a more, much more aggressive growth of featured snippets, which you know now they're here. You know, it's like it's not much worse than it was in 2019. Now, so it might be true if you look at the actual numbers, etc. Like they might have tweaked a bit on search lay layout, etc. But overall, I, I wouldn't give us a point on this one because I don't think there has been much more effort, especially compared to the previous years, where there was a lot of like this stuff popping up, basically. I think the antitrust hearings and the increased sort of government scrutiny in the US around Google's monopolistic practices is perhaps adding something of a barrier to what Google's doing here. In the past, we just saw, you know, it was a free fall land grab. They would just take as much as they, as they can. But now I think they're starting to realize that there is people watching this. And if they, if they push it too far, then they could potentially, you know, run into some more serious governmental issues and, and whatnot. So I hope that pressure is uh, is wisely used, but uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, it's a good news actually. It means like hopefully it's going to be stable for a bit at least. Like while well, it's being looked at, it's probably going to be looked at for several years. Like these things go really slow, like the antitrust investigations, etc. So it's not something that they can just post for six months and do again, like aggressively, I guess. So not so. Yeah, there were like in in the hearings, and we did a podcast on it. We'll uh, link it up here if you want to go check it out. But the, all of the evidence and claims they were making were sort of like three or four years old. Like they didn't mention featured snippets really that much or any of the like new contentious issues. So maybe that's something we'll see play out over the over the coming years as well. Yeah. Then kind of in line with that, we had Google will squeeze more revenue out of search. I can't remember why we said that. Do you remember what we said then? No, I don't remember <laughs> why we said that. It was it was something to do with um ads. No, I think it was something to do with like there being a higher demand on them to to make profit, maybe like GDPR and like other regulation limiting certain things. 
it certainly doesn't seem like there's been any any issues there. Google, again, making a shitload of money in 2020. I think the pandemic and all that's actually been good for the ad business. More people buying things online, you know, that kind of thing, pushing up, pushing up ad Business prices. is advertising more, like they figure out ways to reach customers that they didn't bother with before, I guess, you know? Yeah, and just, you know, businesses that have never done stuff online before suddenly starting to do to do stuff. So I'm not necessarily sure they've like, Google's tried to squeeze it more than it's, it's just naturally happened. What we have seen is like, rather than on the revenue generating, on the cost cutting end of the spectrum, we've seen indicators that Google's trying to maybe like optimize their, their profit by slashing costs in some places, particularly around cloud storage. So they've sort of tightened up all the <laughs> limitations. <laughs> yeah, on Google Photos, for example, on G Suite, they've, un they've officially gotten rid of like the unlimited storage on the business plan, though you can still technically get it to the end of the year. There's a weird way you have to go through to get it but this is all just moving in the direction of them kind of like cutting out excess costs and, and maybe just tightening things up a, a little bit i'm sure share i'm sure their shareholders would be happy yeah the google photo is like it's nothing to do with this year but it's a big blow to a lot of people actually like a lot of people use google photo to keep a million photos or something like it's i can't imagine how much storage that must be using as a service it's crazy anyway the last one was nothing to do with this year we had brexit will happen but it will change nothing and we still don't know. <laughs> well, well, I mean, technically, if I'm not mistaken, I really have lost track of what's going on with that. They're still days, negotiating, you know? Technically, it did happen, So, but like in name only and nothing actually changed yeah, this yeah. year. But we're, we're in, in the season finale at the moment and we're about to see what's actually going to happen in the coming so see you days. In one Maybe year by the time this podcast is live, uh, everyone will know. I so think we'll, so. I think we'll it's going to be sorted out like December 28, you know, something. Anyway, that's basically what we predicted last year. Actually, we've done worse some years. Like, this is not terrible. It's just, it's okay by our standards. <laughs> I think now the most fun part is like, what's going to happen next year, right? So for that, what we're going to do is we're going to mix the answers people have sent us and we're going to mix essentially ours and I tried to group them together. So we did this separately. Like we prepared our, and but but sometimes we kind of came up with similar things. So I tried to group them as much as possible. And I think the best way to explain what's going to happen is just to do one. And it's going to be Kyle Roof. So let's just watch what Kyle Roof predicted for 2021. Kyle Roof from Page Optimizer Pro. And here's my big tip for 2021. SEO income diversification will be critical. I think this for two reasons. One, low to medium ticket client side SEO and low to medium cost affiliate sites are going to be a saturated market. I think that there are a lot of people that have been locked up during COVID and all of them have gotten the bright idea of doing SEO consulting or affiliate sites. As a result, 2021 is going to be difficult for picking up lower ticket SEO clients and some of those lower cost sites as a lot of people will be competing in those spaces. Two, Google updates will continue to disproportionately affect affiliate sites. It's become quite apparent that Google's rather hostile to affiliate sites. And that's starting with the medic update from 2018 to pretty much all the updates that have rolled out since you'll find that affiliate sites get hit. To remedy both of these issues is SEO income diversification. You should have multiple income streams in place so that if something takes a dip, it only affects part of your income. There are a ton of different ways to do this. I'm sure Mark and Gail can discuss them. But one thing I would mention is remember that saturation of new SEOs. They will need services. They will need consulting. That's a huge opportunity. All the best. All right. So quite interesting one. I think the first point was that low and essentially services like SEO services and low and beginner level 
affiliate sites will become more competitive because people picked it up during the lockdown. Like people were more locked down, had more time to start these things and maybe lost jobs, etc. They started. What I'm thinking about when he says that is I'm thinking about sales for the authority site system. Like in 2020, we've made more sales for the authority site system, which is like kind of a tangible indicator for us that yes, more people were interested in starting authority sites at least on authority hackers level for services. We don't know. We don't really sell training for that. But for the authority site system, yes, there was more people that joined this year than people that joined in 2019. So the question then is like, how serious are these people? How far will they go? And does it really raise the bar? You know what I mean? Like, is it's like, is it going to make it significantly more difficult? Because I imagine even our competitors got more people, etc. So it's like, there, maybe there's more people, but I'm not sure if it raises the bar. It depends on how good these people that are joining are and how able they are to follow through. Like, or if they just drop everything as soon as everything reopens and then just like, yeah, don't follow through anyway. So there's two sides to that. There's, you know, you're in the middle of a, a deep lockdown. You've nothing to do. And so, you know, you go and try and start a business online. But I would maybe argue that at least a percentage of those people, if they need like a global pandemic and like basically to be locked down in order to take action on that, maybe those are not the best people long term to succeed with that. On the other side, there's probably some people that really were like on the edge of doing it and that just sort of like was the opportunity for them to, okay, now is the time I'm going to start it. And so you have that big cluster of people all starting at the same time. And around about now, you know, those sites are getting out of the sandbox and, you know, they're maybe starting to get to those kind of initial takeoff stages. Uh, So I think the first few months of next year, we'll perhaps see that manifest itself. Overall, though, there are people starting sites all the time. Competition is increasing anyway i'm not sure how much of a big blip this is going to be in the grand scheme of things and you know maybe it's the case that the people who were previously competing at the the lower end because they've had so much time at home in lockdown they're now a level up competing at the the middle end so that leaves more space at at the bottom Uh, the dynamics of that kind of hard hard to assess uh, i think i would also argue that the market has grown so like more people buy stuff online now and, and so on so it's like you know, smaller keywords become more valuable. And so like more keywords are available to share between affiliates basically and so on. So there may be more people, but there's also a bigger market. And so I think that compensates to some extent. It's hard to tell, you know, which one grew more, but I think it compensates to some extent for the fact that there may be more players as well. For SEO services, I don't really want to speak because we're not really in that space. And I, it's like, I don't know, to be honest at this point. I know a lot of like, providers that did good this year. So that's pretty much the extent of my experience here. His second point was that affiliate sites will get targeted more by Google updates. I disagree here, actually. I think it's confirmation bias. I think it's because we are in that affiliate space, we see affiliate sites getting tanked. But, you know, if you remember like Dr. Axe, for example, absolutely not an affiliate site got completely destroyed by these updates, etc. And you can find many counterexamples of the fact that I don't think it's targeting affiliate sites. It's just targeting shady sites, you know? Well, at least what it's been thus far, my interpretation of it is it's not because it's an affiliate exactly. site. Exactly. It's because it's the fact that affiliate sites in general tend to have, on average, lower quality content than, you know, stage three authority sites, big brands, etc. And I think the lower quality aspect of it and certain shadiness factors and, you know, 
pushing diet pills and, and things that don't actually work or aren't, you know, evidence-based are a big, big sort of leaning factor there as well. Yeah. So I was like, I think it's a bit of a confirmation bias because like now Carl, he lives in Chiang Mai, he's surrounded with affiliates. So he goes to dinner, he talks to people, they have affiliate sites, they get thanked by updates and it's like, oh, Google is targeting affiliate sites. There is a deeper point here though, that I, I think is, is interesting. Like in the long term, you know, an affiliate is essentially the a, a middle a person in the a middle person in the value chain, and they're there to often raise awareness of certain products. So, if the product owners were doing a better job of marketing themselves, then there wouldn't be a need for for the affiliate necessarily. So, I think there over the long term there may be somewhat of a squeeze, but I, I can't see them. You know, affiliates going away. There's still value in having a third party person give an independent evaluation, independent judgment on a product, whether it's good or not, you know, in a, a review. Third party reviews is people, what the content people want. They don't want the person, the salesman to make the sales, you know, it's like they want to hear, read from someone else. To an extent, you can get that from Amazon, but it takes a long time to like read them and like, you know, figure out who's full of and shit. You can and, buy everything you know. on Amazon as well. Yeah. I believe it's still needed. And like, look at like how big unboxing is on YouTube and how big, uh, you know, like proper reviewing items is and so on. I don't think it's going away anywhere. Regarding the multiple streams of, of income, I think it makes a lot of sense once you're past a certain threshold. I think diversification play is definitely like a, a viable strategy. You know, we've done it to an extent. There is, it's, it can often be a bit counterintuitive because I hear a lot of people say to relative beginners, oh, you need to diversify, you need to diversify. Yeah. And they're making like, 500 bucks a month or something like those people do not need to diversify. They need to double down on, on what works. My philosophy has has changed quite significantly in the last few years from diversification, the safe play, protect, protect the downside from how can we maximize the upside? Like you find the golden goose and you, or is that the golden goose? Yes. I was going to say you milk it, but you don't milk a goose. It's something about a cow. That's... I don't know what that analogy is, but you, you find what's working. It's probably one from you... my uh, my analogy book, you know, that you picked up. <laughs> for, for kids you find, for Christmas. You, you, you find a business here. model, you find the, the, the site, you find the niche, you find the product, whatever it is that's working, and then you really milk it while it's, while it's good. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. It's like if you maximize the upsides, then you can often deal with the downsides, even if they happen. You know what I mean? It's like... It's often better to make a million dollars for a year and then just, even if you if you lose it, than making $10,000 a month for three years, you know what I mean? Like you still make more money in the end. So it's, it's kind of the approach, but I think diversification is something that you worry about when you already have a full-time income, when your bills are paid. After that, you can consider that. Before that, yeah, it's it, usually people split their focus and make 50 bucks times three and it's like, doesn't change anything. Okay, so that was Cal. Now let's do one of ours, right? And I'm going to start and I'm going to say Google indexing problems, I believe, will continue. And actually, I'm cheating a bit because I got this from talking with Kyle. Basically, he we were talking and he was like, yeah, I think they hit like literally probably a physical limit on like processing data and data centers and like um, the amount of information they can process. And so... That's why they're like re-indexing the sites they know, et cetera, but they really struggle with new sites, low authority sites, et cetera, to like index pages. Some of our sites that are low DR, like we wait like one plus months for pages to get indexed at this point, and we can't submit it in Webmasters Console. They literally removed the option for it. So yeah, it seems to be like a, a big infrastructure problem. And if it's an infrastructure problem that requires physical resources, 
It could take some time. By the time they significantly increase their processing power, server farms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I could imagine that the really slow indexing could continue for a while, but it might also be what's protecting us from large core updates. So it's there's pros and cons to this, you know. But yeah, I'm gonna say for most, I don't think it's gonna last the whole 2021, but I think we'll be fine at least the first half of the year. Like there will be indexing issues, but there will also be no big updates. That's kind of like what I'm going to say on this. Do you, how, what is the percentage chance of this being accurate, you, you would think? About 37.928. Okay, that's 99. a little bit vague, but... Uh, okay. I, I, honestly, I honestly don't have a clue about this. Indexing and crawling and all this stuff is really not my forte. That's true. All right, so now let's jump on to the next guest prediction. Hey, everyone, it's Spencer Hawes here with NichePursuits.com. So what are my SEO predictions for 2021? Well, I believe that topical relevancy is going to become even more important than it already is. And I actually believe that smaller niche sites that are focused on a very specific topic that truly are authorities at one specific topic are going to perform better than these large sites like Hearst Media and these other humongous sites that cover thousands of topics, I think they're actually going to perform better. Google's going to start to recognize that there are sites that truly are experts at hiking or survival or that truly are an expert at one particular type of product. And that content is finally going to shine a little bit better then these huge companies, like I mentioned, Hearst Media, all you can go down the line, there's 10 or 15 huge sites that cover thousands of topics that because they have such huge domain authority, they perform really, really well in Google. But I believe that in 2021, we're going to see that shift where sites that truly are experts that are more niche and narrow on a specific topic are going to start performing a little bit better. So, that is my prediction. All right, so there's one thing that we definitely didn't predict. It's that most SEOs will buy a camera in 2020. So like the video is like much better and you'll see the other guests actually doing much better as well. And videos like us this year, so it's quite nice. Uh, we can actually collaborate with them. Now onto the actual prediction. He essentially thinks that small sites will start outranking big sites provided they're specialized. I think that's cute, but I think that it's not what history has shown us so far. Like in recent history, bigger sites have gotten the advantage over smaller sites. I do think that if you make a site that focuses on a smaller niche, you'll have a chance to fight against the bigger sites that like focus on broader niches. But is the momentum going to change very much from where it was? So, so I'm like uh, not super convinced, but if I had to start a site on a smaller site, then I would focus on a smaller niche because it tends to do better. This part, I agree. But like, is it going to reverse the trend? I don't know. I think there's two sides to what he's saying there. One is that smaller relevant sites will beat larger, less relevant sites. It's like, is the size size the differentiator versus the, the relevancy differentiator aspect? I think a large relevant site will beat large irrelevant or broader site. Yeah. And I think a small relevant site will be a, lo a small irrelevant site or not irrelevant, bro but broader. But where is the difference? You know, at some point, their relevancy must be a certain amount higher of a factor than DR size, links, authority, whatever. But how how far is that? And will that differentiator kind of skew more throughout 
2021. I personally think that there's something in this. I see so many large publications these days just, you know, using their DR to throw up a few affiliate sites yes. and review a vacuum cleaner or whatever. And this is they're not a good site. The content's shit. It's not shit. It's like, it's all right, but it's just not like amazing. And like someone really involved in the niche can like produce something so much better. And they're losing out at the moment, or they, at least they have been, because they lose out on DR, even though they're more relevant, the co content quality is better. So I do think that we'll start to go down this, this direction. I'm not sure it's going to be like a full, let's all build a micro niche site again kind of thing. Yeah. But, but I think that this is a direction where we're, we're going, especially, you know, if you're starting a new site this year, like focus in on like a, a small, small niche. Don't, don't start a... Very broad, broad, side, yeah. broad site at the moment. I think it's going to matter on the page level, but not necessarily on the site level. You know what I mean? Like, it's like if the page itself is like very relevant and well built, regardless on the, of the website it's on, it will do well, you know? And maybe hubs like. I like disagree with that because I, I think relevancy, like a lot of that comes from, it's not just the page level, it's the site level. Like, what is this website about? Like, what are, what are the other pages on this site? relevant to this topic that you've written about and like how do they interlink like all that kind of stuff by the way we didn't really precise that but actually this relevancy will matter more was one of your thing right like so now you're kind of merging your point and, and spencer points right that so was one of your predictions my issue is like these big tech sites who are just produced shitty reviews and because they have dr90 or whatever they just dominate the serp yeah i think that's like not going to continue for very long i know it's happened this year but or next year but soon there will be a reckoning and really that the best content by a topical expert should win yeah we know that for a long time and it hasn't happened yet so <laughs> the same way i'm keep i keep saying like we don't need three thousand words to answer simple questions and, and google still ranks these pages so I don't know. It depends how how faithful you are in Google's in Google's job, really. At this point, I believe they'll get there eventually. <laughs> okay, I think what we should do now is we should just jump onto the next guest and see what they have predicted. Hey, this is Matt Diggity from Diggity Marketing, Lead Spring, the Search Initiative, Authority Builders, and the Affiliate Lab. My 2021 SEO prediction is that the general theme of the Google Core algorithm updates is going to change direction. For the last year or more, most core algorithm updates have been favoring backlinks. And that's why you commonly see giant sites ranking for stuff that they're clearly not experts in with mediocre content. I'm sure you see this all the time. So my prediction is that, once again, the pendulum is going to start swinging towards content and relevance gaining importance. So what can site owners do? I hope you're already doing this, but focus on content heavily in 2021, not in terms of length or the amount of words you're putting out, but the quality of the content. Look at things like entity optimization, get search intent correct, and establish strong topical relevance through interlinking. Hope that helps. All right, my prediction for 2021 is Matt Digity's list of companies is going to be longer than his prediction. <laughs> Sorry, he knows I can roast him because I know him well, actually. So please don't get hateful in the comments, etc. I don't hate him. He's on the podcast, guys. But anyway, I, I think it's interesting because his prediction really ties in with a little bit what we just talked about, about these big sites that rank with like kind of shitty content, etc. And uh, essentially creating high quality relevant content is going to be the focus and going to be more rewarded than even backlinks in terms of, of focus, at least. Like it will shift more towards that. It doesn't mean it's going to be bigger than backlinks. It just means that the pendulum will, the momentum will be bigger towards content than it is towards links. 
Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And it's more like in line with what I was thinking in the sense that I don't think it's on the domain level, but rather on the page level and like the content of that page, you know? So if you put a really in-depth page on whatever site, it will do quite well. It's better if you have a hub of content so you're relevant for that topic as a website. But I think it's going to be much more about like, you know, having that really nice page. You have a hub of content mean that it's not page level it is but the thing is like essentially what the hub of content does it's like it creates internal links so it creates backlinks from relevant pages basically to that page so, so look at it that way if google was not thinking in terms of websites but in terms of web pages you're getting a bunch of relevant backlinks from pages on similar topics which helps you rank. but in order to have those you need to have a lot of content about that topic which means yeah, but it doesn't need to be entire site about that topic Okay, sure. Which is why I'm saying it's like, it's more, it's like, I think if one of these DR90 sites that just writes crap content and ranks now, let's say Google changes it and they're like, okay, fine, let's figure this out and build really nice hubs of content for each of these things. And they actually end up creating quite good content. I think they will kill it, you know, and and it's not these micro niche sites that will overtake them, you know? So you don't think they'll then spin off these sites as separate sites more? They might because .dash has done that successfully the guys from about.com and it's like it's a case study that a lot of people are looking at so they might do that but then they would just yeah they would just redirect that and take a content hub and make a single site or something but i think there's a limit to how small these big media companies will go you know so i could see dot dash going from home to gardening for example taking the gardening section and making a site but i can't see them going from gardening to microgreens for example and like going for like that tiny section in gardening i think it's too small for the size of the company so these bigger companies they can't go super super narrow and i don't see them managing 10,000 sites or something because they went super micro niche so that's the thing as a small publisher you it makes financial sense to you to go to these micro niches that it doesn't make sense for the big media companies, you know. But if DotDash makes a gardening site and they make an amazing hub system with like microgreens as like, you know, a hub page, it almost looks like a homepage and it just like directs you to all these things. I think it's quite competitive with a micro niche site, to be honest, my opinion. So it's like I, I agree more with Madigity than I agree with Spencer, actually. And what do you think about the search intent part of it? I mean, Google has been quite aggressive in pushing like the kind of page that they think is right for a given query. So I could see them refine that. And actually, it might be why they're having indexing issues because processing that is like a lot of work, actually. But like I can see them refine that and, you know, take like, let's say a query where they were grouping. I'm trying to think of like a query where like my computer doesn't start and how to repair Windows 10, for example. Let's say Google was showing the same pages so far. Maybe they will be essentially be able to split it and then like essentially make smaller queries with groups of uh, pages that appear for all the queries. And so make smaller groups and essentially that will give more room to pages that are more precise than today, you know? So I could see that. I could see them essentially just splitting that up. And so it's like more relevant results, better quality for the users. And also for smaller sites, it means that if you have more pages that target these very specific topics, they will also get more traffic. Okay. I mean, we can talk about search intent a little bit later. I think one of our other guests has some some thoughts uh-huh. on that. But let's move on to the next one, which is which one is of mine. Yours. This is, again, one of my um, thinking everything is great and Google has everyone's yeah. best intentions at heart. But I really felt this year that there's this like honesty movement online. A lot of like big YouTubers like calling out of these sort of like semi scammy companies and like shady practices are, are being put under more of a spotlight than than ever before. I think that people are being more and more critical of the content they consume online. And I think that 
web users are becoming savvier and savvier, so they're able to be more discerning about what's legit and, and, and what's not. And I think that is going to push publishers, even if Google doesn't, that is going to push publishers towards erring on the side of kind of accuracy as opposed to sensationalism. This is from like an SEO perspective. I just read this uh, Ryan Holiday book, Trust Me, I'm Lying, about like how sensationalized news is created and all that. I read very few books, but I actually read this one. Book. Yeah, really, really good. Highly, highly recommend it. And I think the basically the, the blogosphere and social media world of you know news is kind of fucked, to be honest. So, so you're saying that in the year where QAnon gained the most ground ever? Yeah, I mean, I don't really count that as like an SEO online marketing play. Well, I'm not it's really like you're talking, talking about, about honesty the, will matter more, right? Okay. Fine. <laughs> I'm not just. Uh, I'm not gonna open a giant kind of worms here. But uh, I think it's just the world is dividing in two parts, really, into the um, people who care. It's like people who care about honesty and people who care about finding what about confirmation bias, basically, like finding what they were expecting to find online, regardless of whether it's true or false. You know. I don't think it's necessarily dividing in that sense. I think everybody everybody thinks they're unbiased and everyone is biased. Yeah, it's like exactly. a natural human. It's like you want to eat chocolate, you find a study that says chocolate is healthy and then you're like, oh, it's great, I'm going to eat chocolate. And it's like, <laughs> and there's always a study that will confirm whatever the hell you want to believe, you know? Sure, but if you then go to Google and you say, is chocolate good for you? You're not these days finding Dr. Axe saying, yeah, have 6,000 bars of chocolate a day as long as you take an omega-3, you'll be fine or whatever. You're having actual health line evidence-based papers. So if you, the feature snippet on is chocolate good for you is chocolate is believed to contain high level of antioxidants. Some studies have suggested that chocolate could lower cholesterol levels and prevent memory decline. Chocolate contains a large number of calories. People who are seeking to lose or maintain weight should eat chocolate only in moderation. So it's not too bad. Now the question is how, how qualitative are the studies that say that chocolate reduces cholesterol and prevent memory loss? You know? I think the underlying studies in most of those cases are legit. I think what happens is that a journalist comes along, sees it, spends two seconds looking for a sensationalized headline, and you know, they'll they'll say, Oh, we studied a thousand people, gave them all chocolate, and you know, one person had a lower blood pressure and something. Um, it was like one out of a thousand, that's not really telling you anything. But then the journalist will be, oh, chocolate lowers blood sugar, and then yep. create this, this article. And then other people will quote that journalist and then build up these many layers of content around the web till that becomes like a sort of truth. That's essentially the trust me, I'm lying thing. But I think from Google's perspective, that kind of content is going to, not going to be shown as much when people are searching for is chocolate good for you? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe okay. in the next episode next year, we can see what the feature snippet says then. Yeah, actually, that'd be fun, actually. Yeah, you had another point here that says content convergency will continue. So it's basically people will just suffer SEO their content, basically. Yeah, so people will Google the content, see what's out there, and then create similar content to what's already out there. My main gripe with this is that SEOs don't really seem to be pushing the boat. They, they seem to just be like trying to imitate what's out there. They don't seem to try and be bettering what's out there. And you don't have to like go totally off to, off script. You can still do the surfer angle and, you know, follow a similar structure, but like at least take the best elements of what other people are, are doing and try and improve on it, try and deliver better, more value to, to the user in, in, in some way if you're going to do it. Because the people who are able to do that, I think, are going to be the people who win because 
this convergence effect is happening and everyone's content is becoming more and more similar. At least the gap between the quality of number one and number 10 is, is diminishing significantly. So it's not going to take much to stand out, but I think people are still a little bit lazy to put that extra effort in. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like it's becoming a war of production value because you all have to say the same thing to rank. It's like quite annoying because like I'll tell you, Hacker, I like to stand out by, you know, doing case studies or saying the opposite of what people would say. Like, you know, people were like, oh, don't use pop-ups. And I was like, oh, actually, guys, yeah, it works really well and you don't even lose your rankings. Or like, oh, this tool is great. And we're like, actually, there's much better options, etc. You can't really do that anymore. You can't stand out by contradicting what people are saying, at least not on Google. You can on YouTube, for example. So the only war for the content, if Google keeps working with that search intent system, is going to be production value. So like how nicely can the page look and like how fast does it load and like how nice are your images and just like, yeah, it's like, and how cool are your examples and things like that. But like, it's going to be that. It's going to be, it's kind of a different job now, content creation. It's like repeating the same thing, just better. It's like... You know what? It makes me a terrible analogy. Yeah, I'm going to add it to my analogy book, which is, it's kind of like theater, you know? It's like you have a text, you can change the text, but like depending on the actor, you get a very different performance. And so it's kind of the same thing. It's like you're all saying the same words, but like your performance, like the way you're doing it is what matters now in terms of creating content. actually quite profound. I think you may <laughs> be onto a winner with that one, Gil. <laughs> <laughs> See, everything can happen. That, that definitely wasn't in the predictions for 2020, like a good analogy. You throw enough shit at the wall, something will stick. <laughs> okay, well, let's jump on to the next prediction from our next guest. Hi guys, it's Bibi the Link Builder from Bibi Buzz. My prediction for 2021 when it comes to link building is the rise of creatives and empaths. So while SEOs are really good at analyzing data and following metrics, which are going to inflate even more due to all the manipulation, they might not be as good as making a personal connection with someone or coming up with really creative angles to their outreach or content ideation for their clients or for the prospect site when it comes to guest posts. But copywriters, social media marketers, and uh, even stand-up comedians can think out of the box and come with really good angles to win those people over uh, the editors to put a link on their site. So I think if you're smart, you should look out for the weirdos in your company and involve them in your link building outreach. All right, good luck. I, I think this applies. I think it's true. I think this applies to more than just link building. Actually, what we were just saying about content production and stuff and going the extra mile with with that leveling that up it takes a different sort of skill set to do that than the like data minded prospecting keyword research mm -hmm. stuff that you typically need for for seo we talked we did a podcast earlier this year about cross niching as well i think that's one of the most important aspects of outreach based link building these days is finding a way to connect what you're talking about in your topic with any other website any that, that has any other angle and any other person in existence. You could always bridge two topics if you're creative enough. And I think that not enough SEOs are trying to do that. So involving maybe social media type person or hire a stand-up comedian, I don't know, but Bring would you in do that? With would, you, would you go and hire a stand-up comedian for our link building team? No. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> just checking. I, I don't know. I don't know like 
what stand-up comedians kind of like mindset are is like I don't know how how they kind of think about creating jokes and stuff but I imagine I mean to be honest to be fair I imagine they're probably quite good at understanding what makes people tick and what makes people how to get an emotional response from someone so there's probably something in there there's probably a technique that they they do when they're creating their jokes or sets that are applicable for this you have to be a bit careful I think with very creative people I've often find it quite difficult to manage them in and get them to do things in any kind of structured way yeah applying some kind of rigid structure inherently dampens the creative process so there's a need for both skill sets in the overall link building process but i think what we were saying earlier as well about it being harder to build links just because more people are doing it site owners are getting more sort of numb to outreach you have to go a little bit further to connect with them, to stand out. And these are the skills and these are the types of approaches that you're going to need in order to to do that. Yeah, I agree. But you know what's annoying me with the predictions so far? It's like basically we're just telling everyone you're just going to have to do a bit more of everything. And it's like from a resource management standpoint, it's kind of difficult. Let's say you're listening to this podcast and you're like, well, I'm going to have to do more content, more relevant, better quality, more kind of more unique link building outreach, etc. Like, where do you take the resources from when you don't have them, you know? It's kind of that, it's like, you know, how do you rebalance the resources if you take what's come so far, you know? I think you could also make an argument, though, that, like, let's say rather than I'm going to try and produce 100 pieces of content from my V1 site, I just produce 50, but I make them twice as good. Or rather than sending, you know, 50 outreach messages a day, I send 10, but I make them five times as good and I hyper-personalize them. You know, go more sniper on that the that end of the, the shotgun sniper spectrum. Yeah, so you do less, basically. You do less, you do better. Okay, you wanted to talk about PR, you know, your notes. It's a link builders start to shift to PR campaign. And literally, I just was reading quickly, it was like, link builders start shit PR campaigns. That's what I, that's I think, what I I think that is a, also an accurate pr- um, prediction <laughs> that there will be more and more shit PR campaigns by non-creative link builders. No. So I think as outreach, people start to max out outreach, it starts to get more competitive, everything we just said, basically. People are naturally going to look for other link building tactics and they're going to start being more creative in their, their approaches to link building. Some of this is going to undoubtedly include digital PR and PR campaigns. It's still kind of easy, as I understand. I haven't really done many myself, but from observing the industry and looking at other people that are doing this, it's still quite easy to do some wildly successful PR campaigns. Go check out uh, two weeks ago the podcast on link building campaign examples for some ideas that, that touched on that to an extent to get an idea there. I think SEOs are going to be forced to do this slash want to do this because they watched Stacey McNaught's talk at Chiang Mai SEO or she's doing it at the SEO Mastery Summit, I think it was the other week. Anyway, she seems to be the person who's who's leading the charge from the SEO side of things there. And I think more and more people are going to be experimenting with it. We saw Ahrefs this year already buy some ads to like a stats page and they did a, a blog post about that as well. I think we're, we're just sort of, we'll, we'll see a few good case studies on this come out in 2020 and then uh, there'll be a bit of a tidal wave of, of SEOs. Do you think uh, SEOs will And they'll probably PR. ruin it to an extent. <laughs> yeah. Do you think they will uh, destroy it with spam and uh, and then it's going to be shit in two years? Well, I mean, surely it's a supply and demand thing, but I think there's, uh, there's almost an infinite demand for news and for stories and for anything kind of sensational. As we've as we've seen, blogs. I'm not talking about you know, your SEO type blogs, but your news blogs, your your social media type blogs. They'll publish anything. You know, they'll happily publish twice as often um, if they have more kind of 
scoops or stories to share. Okay, so SEOs will ruin will ruin PR eventually. I mean, we ruin everything. What what can I say? Yeah, it's like it's true. Like, what is one thing that became popular in SEO that wasn't ruined? Exactly. <laughs> That's the question in the comments, guys. Just tell us in the comments what what became popular in SEO and wasn't ruined. Okay, let's jump on to the next guest. Hi guys, my name is Craig Campbell. So my predictions for 2021 would be user engagement signals. Now, over the last year, I've been playing around a lot with click-through rate manipulation and a whole bunch of other stuff. And I feel that Google, YouTube, podcasts and everything else does rely on user engagement. And when I mean that, I mean real user engagement. So using the likes of Facebook ads, your email marketing list, push notifications, over and above every other way you can possibly drive traffic to your pages, your posts, or whatever it might be, is helping massively with your rankings. And I expect that to fully continue into 2021. All right. I actually, I would love that. And I actually see some of the effects of that. So basically what Craig is saying is like, if people engage with your content, you're going to rank higher. So it's like, you know, visit your page or read it, etc. And to some extent, I've seen that. Uh, on quite a bit of content that, you know, we took it, we promoted it and just ranks a couple hours later because we might, we generated a couple thousand visits to that page, etc. And it's like people tweet it and people do all of that, etc. I would love that. I would love that if it was a lot stronger, right? It's like I enjoy, for example, YouTube a lot more because of that. Because like when you, when people just like watch your video and like, etc., you get rewarded really. Like you get Speaking some- of which, if you're watching this video on YouTube, please drop us a like because it really helps us out. Yes. And the comment and everything and the subscribe, the bell, everything. We're so passionate about this. It's Christmas, guys. Come on. Anyway. So, yeah, I really like that. But like, do you think like, for example, Facebook likes or tweets will start mattering for rankings? It's like, I I would like that, but I'm I'm not sure that would matter because that's what, you know, he was talking about. No, I don't. I don't think social media. I don't think they have that data. Yeah, exactly. uh, Because it's not necessarily public. But I think what the data they do have is how people are interacting with the the content you know through chrome, chrome etc., android yeah. you know tag manager whatever it's like are they do they like what they see are they clicking back are they reading all are they going on to read other pages that kind of thing and i would love for that to, to matter more yeah. increase in to, to matter more because it means that you can create better content give people a better experience than you know high dr sites that just churn out affiliate content because they have high DR and you can beat those people based on user metrics. Yeah, I would like that too. But you know, it's like, it makes me think actually, it's like, let's say Google uses that metric and they use that through Chrome, for example, right? Or uh, uh, it's like analytics, not sure, but like, for example, if you're doing Facebook ads to boost that, right? I would actually exclude people on iPhone and iOS because Google doesn't get that data because Safari is the default browser and Safari blocks Google analytics a lot, actually. So it's like, if you wanted to maximize your budget for user engagement, you will probably focus on Google platforms to advertise where people are already in a Chrome. So on Android, you know, it's like Chrome is the default thing. Um, I guess Windows maybe would be fine as well. Depends on uh, if you use Edge or something. But yeah, it's quite an interesting one to think about it. I, I would like it. Honestly, I would love that. I would love SEO for engagement, but it's kind of like the opposite of search intent, you know? Because search intent content is like not necessarily very engaging, but answers the query exactly versus engaging content that is, say, optimized for a keyword. It's like maybe a case study or something, but doesn't necessarily answer exactly all the technicalities of the query. So do you think that would reverse that, you know? 
Well, this is where Google has to be very careful with how much it dials things up and down because you dial up user metrics too much and then you might end up getting, you know, any site which has bait, yeah. 11 cat pictures ranking number 1 for how to change a light bulb, you know? Yep, that's why I'm like it's like I see pages that get a lot of traffic when we launch them like, you know, do well, but I just can't see this become it could be bigger, but I don't think it could be massive, you know? I think search Google's business is search they want to sell searcher and they're doing an okay job figuring out all that search intent stuff and like boilerplate content that is not necessarily exciting, but answers the query exactly. And yeah, it's like I'm, I'm starting to see more SEO as almost like a support. Not, it's like a very heavy support traffic source, you know, and then your main engagement content is for YouTube and Facebook and things like that. And it's like there's kind of like two content pipelines, you know, like content for engagement and content for search, you know. Maybe though this is a place where or an area where sites who have built up like a real following, an audience, an email list can start to utilize that to gain a bigger advantage over yeah. thinner affiliate only types. I see that. Like I can definitely see that when you throw traffic at a page, like it does better in general. So it's an interesting one, basically. Uh, my prediction after that was that the industry will move past Amazon as default monetization for most affiliate sites, etc. It's funny because last year we predicted they would increase their rent, <laughs> their, their commissions, and now we're like, well, actually, fuck that. And I think, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's unlikely now that they're going to increase the commissions again. It's probably going to stay the same for a while. I don't see it change necessarily again. I'm saying that, and then they just drop it the next day usually, so be careful. But I think more and more people are figuring out like other ways of monetizing their sites. And I think it's Amazon was really like the holy cow default monetization. I actually see like a mix of like high paying FA programs and ads becoming the default, you know, like you pick one good FA program and you focus sites on smaller niches, like Spencer said. So you don't need as many FA programs and pro products to promote. And you mix that with high paying ad networks like Mediavine or AdThrive. And I think that's going to be the default. And that a lot of sites now, a lot of affiliate sites will be without Amazon. Actually, spoiler alert, the Task 3.0 site has some Amazon links, but it's like less than 5%, I would say at this point. So it's it's not a lot. And, and we show how to build a completely off Amazon site. Maybe that influenced my uh, prediction here, but I think I can see the industry really being motivated to move out of Amazon, even though it will still be good in some niches and it probably will still be the best in some niches as well. So I'm not saying Amazon would be dead, I'm saying it would be less of an in a gold standard, you know? Okay, let's check the next guest. Hey, Matthew Woodward here, and my SEO prediction is going to sound super cliche because you've heard about it a million times before. But despite that, nearly every site I review fails on this point. And it's weird because nearly every time we fix this, we see increases in search traffic. What am I talking about? Site speed. Site speed is a ranking factor for Google and for humans. It affects your conversion rate, average order value, your PPC ROI, and many, many other things. On top of that, it's been a confirmed Google ranking factor for a long time. And next year, Google are going to be baking the new core web vitals into the algorithm itself. So how do you know if you've got a problem with site speed? Well, if your Google mobile page speed score is less than 60, you've got problems. How do you fix it? Well, that's really easy. You can use a plugin like WP Rocket or a service like Nitro Pack or Cloudflare Pro. So don't sleep on site speed. It touches 
every area of your business from the bottom line to your search rankings. All right, first of all, I want to tell to Matthew Woodwell, it's very dangerous to send us a recording on a green screen. So just, just be careful next time. Other than that, other than that oh, well, thanks for, the, thanks for sending us the video. And he's taking the risk that we are not willing to take this year, basically. He said, you know, last year we said SiteSpeed is going to become more of a factor. I'm kind of wrong, you know? And now he's saying that. It's like, I'm going to more focus on the core web vital thing algorithm coming up. And I actually want to add something on that. It's like, my prediction is actually that pop-ups, you know, like uh, light box pop-ups on websites will be fucked by the core web vitals algorithm when it comes out. It's like, you know, Google says they have an algorithm for pop-ups, but it doesn't, like we've tested it, it doesn't really change your rankings. But it's typically one of these things where essentially the layout of the page changes after it loads, you know, like when you put a pop-up yeah. on page load or something. And I could imagine that pop-ups get caught into that and we have to kind of like tone down our call to actions on websites. So like use these hello bars or something like this instead of putting a full screen pop-up and it's going to affect lead generation quite a bit if that's the case. What other things are included in the core web vitals thing? It's just really like a change of page layer after load, you know? Mm -hmm. So if like, what does the page look like on the initial load without the asynchronous stuff, et cetera? And what does it look like three seconds later? You know, as if, if it's very different, if it moves around a lot, so like say you wanted to scroll the article and a pop-up pops up, essentially that kind of qualifies, you know? And I think it's going to suck actually. <laughs> and we're, we will probably have lower conversions because of the algorithm. So on the page speed itself, I don't necessarily agree with Matthew Udwa, although it's like, with our luck, you know, he's going to be right and we were wrong all these years before. But on the core vitals, yeah, I think it's something that will matter. At the same time, you can wonder if they're not going to do the same thing as what they did with these interstitials, that pop-up update, you know? Well, they said it's coming, but it's probably so light that we barely see the effects on ranking. Are they going to do the same with core web vitals? Is it like a big thing that they're blowing up at the beginning and then when they launch it, you don't see any difference? Also possible. So let's see, but if it's important, I think opt-in pop-ups are going to be affected quite a bit, actually. In terms of raw site speed, my understanding's always been that it's it's kind of like it needs to be good enough. So I haven't used this mobile page speed tester thing. Do you know what our site scores are at all? We're okay. We're like we got it. I mean, depends on the pages, obviously, but most so okay. I presume like once it's past a certain threshold, it's like you don't have to You're spend fine, yeah. years optimizing it for that like final five percent or whatever that's how google will explain that to you but that's not like seos will still obsess over it regardless yeah so we've always said like site speed's one of these things that because it's so easy to measure uh, and track people really like it as a as a metric and they spend a disproportionate amount of time trying to Im improve it and of course if, if your site speed is shit then you should definitely improve it. But if it's already quite good, then you don't need to go further. I actually talked with, with Matthew on, on Facebook just to clarify that point. And he sort of confirmed that was, that was where he was coming from. Okay, cool. All right, let's check the last one, the last prediction from our guests. Hey, this is Steve Toth of seonotebook.com and this is my 2021 SEO prediction. I think we're going to start to see pages that offer multiple answers to different user queries rank better in search results. So this may seem obvious, but what do I mean? I mean, Google has all this information on where users typically start their journey to where they end their journey. And if you're able to predict how that journey looks and answer those questions, you're gonna to start to be ranked on page one because effectively your article or your page is going to shorten that user's journey to getting what they want. 
So this is great news for smaller sites who are going up against bigger sites not doing this. I'd like to thank Jason Dolman for first turning me on to this mode of thinking. It's worked really well for me and I hope it works really well for you too. My name is Steve Toth from seonotebook.com. Thanks a lot. All right, so thank you, Steve, for sending us your video. Basically, what he's saying is like, as depending on how far you take people through the journey of finding the answer they want on your page, you'll rank higher, basically. Essentially, that's what I understood, right? Yep. What do you think about that? It's something we talk about a lot in the new tasks, so like this inverted pyramid of value model for presenting information in an article, right? You want to give the TLDR, the 80-20, the short answer to someone's question right at the top of the article. Don't give them a fluffy intro, walk them through it, and then give them the answer at the very end and the conclusion. Flip it around. Give the high value stuff first, then give supplementary additional information. And the further you, you go down you go, the more adjacent information you can give. So if someone's looking for like how to clean a paintball gun, you know, you might have like a, a four-step process right at the top. And then you might have some more detailed info about each of the sections further down, maybe some supplementary info about each one of those sections. And then further down, you may have sections which aren't really related to the, aren't really answering the direct question, but are answering related questions along that discovery journey. So how to prevent your paintball gun from needing to be cleaned or, you know, how to take good care of it on an ongoing basis, those kinds of semi-related topics and questions. I think it's this concept of pulling together all those ideas, all those potential questions and answers in one succinct article is is going to be a favorable thing that, that, that one should do. And I agree wholeheartedly. I think that's one of the ways in which you can write an article in which you can consider increasing the quality of it because you're answering people's questions, you're predicting what other things are going to have, what other problems uh, they're going to have, and you're answering those as well. Yeah, and then everyone so far sees your article and everyone has the same, basically. <laughs> but, uh, okay, cool. Well, we're going to wrap it up here. So thank you for joining us and thank you to everyone who sent us their video file for this podcast. It was really fun. We enjoyed doing this, even though we we're wrong most of the time. We hope you had fun. If you did, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. Give us a thumb up, click on the notification bell, all that stuff. And if you like audio podcasts, you can also subscribe on all the audio podcast platforms. And we'll see you next week for another episode. Bye.